0: Hey guys, Benjamin here. Just because the Dustin Squad fantasy football season came to an end doesn't mean the podcasts have to stop. This week I was lucky enough to join forces with my good friend Joey Went, and we watched Reservoir Dogs and had a pretty in-depth conversation about it. It's pretty interesting. Before you get into it, obviously spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs yet, pause this podcast right now, drop what you're doing, and go watch it. It's a great film. Uh, But without any more further ado, enjoy our conversation on Reservoir Dogs.
1: So let's start with the the. All right, start with the title. Do you did you find out why it's called Reservoir Dogs?
0: Actually, no. I, I don't know why it's called Reservoir Dogs. I
1: looked it up. It's kind of boring, actually. Um, it's on IMDb. They have a bunch of trivia about it. But, um, basically this guy, um, Quentin Tarantino worked at a movie, like store, like a Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, and he was always recommending like little-known titles to people. And this guy came in um, looking for a movie, and Tarantino recommended uh, I think it's a French film called *Au Revoir les Enfants*. I my French is terrible, so uh-huh. that's probably totally wrong. But anyway, the um, the guy thought he said something about *Reservoir Dogs* or something, and he said, "I don't want to see no *Reservoir Dogs*," and um, that's where he got the name from. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with heists uh, or that. Actually, anything. I did know.
0: I I I. Uh... I, and when I first saw this movie, obviously I had like scourged the internet for everything on it, and yeah, uh, and I knew that Reservoir Dogs. Well, also just watching the movie, you kind of know that where where the Reservoir where the Dogs. You know, I there was it, the the title has nothing yeah. to do with like the movie <laughs> at really all. It really
1: doesn't. There's no reservoirs. There's no dogs.
0: But it is iconic, and I do like <laughs> how unique is. it is. And uh, this was Tarantino's. Yeah. First? This is his first. This is directorial debut, but not the first
1: movie he wrote. He the first movie he wrote was True Romance. Okay. And um, he actually wrote. I think he wrote both of them at the same time or around the same time. Um, and there were other people that wanted to direct Reservoir Dogs, but he was like, I'm saving this for myself.
0: Do you have? There was actually. Do you have uh, more information on like how he got into that? Because I understand he was like working at a movie store for a while, right? I don't know. I think he was just making scripts and
1: people really liked him.
0: I'm not really sure how that transitioned but like I mean I so but when this movie came about do you like they had such a good cast it's like it seems like he went from like nothing well, I guess not nothing if he had already uh, written a script for a movie but uh, I mean like what a great way to start your directorial oh yeah career. Um.
1: I don't know exactly how that started I guess people really like true romance or or maybe there was something else that he did before but I'm, I'm not sure but um, he originally started off with just $30,000. Um, and he was going to make the film with a bunch of friends. Um, and then Harvey Keitel found out about it. Mr. White. And Yes. And he was like, I want to be in this. I want to help out. So he became a producer. And he also helped raise, like, uh, it says a $1.5 million, which was the eventual budget. Um, so, yeah, he, he, like, has a major part in this movie. Uh, as a producer not just as you know a lead in the in the film right right um, and a reason why it got that that uh, big um, and also they spent a lot of their money on the songs that they used oh um, I bet almost all of their budget went to the um, uh, the song that uh, mr. blonde dances to uh, what's it called stuck
0: in the middle with you yes really I, I, well the thing is I knew that of all those songs, that was probably the biggest one. Uh, it was definitely the one I recognized the easiest, besides like uh, "Hooked on a Feeling." But yeah, uh, w- money well spent,
1: honestly, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean that that whole scene just works so well, especially with the music.
0: Yeah, um, well, and that's one of the yeah. things that I love about this movie is, besides the uh, the when they play "Little Green Bag" for the title sequence, and when they play. Um, the co- whatever the coconut song is called for the yeah. you know, ending credits. Lime of the
1: coconut. Yeah, coconut. I think
0: it's just called coconut. Yeah, and uh, like everywhere else in the movie, the music is being played through the environment of is like right. in the scene, and yeah. he plays with how that sounds because, uh, like for instance, when they're in the warehouse, you can he turns on the radio to play. Uh, right, and then he walks out of the warehouse
1: and back in, which is, oh my gosh, I, like, I've forgotten that he does that, and that's such a cool part. It, it just, uh, and I wanted to line it up so, to see if he if he kept the song going perfectly or if he cut it so that he would have that uh, that one part of the song playing. Right, right. Uh, but either way, it's still it's still brilliant. Like
0: another situation where that happens is uh, when Mr. Orange is in his apartment waiting to be picked up by nice guy yeah. Eddie, he's listening to uh, Fool for Love, on his right. little like stereo setup, and it cuts just very quickly to the car because uh, nice guy Eddie calls him and says like, "Hey, like we're here, come down," and yeah. uh, and he's like, it cuts back to nice guy Eddie in the car, and he's he's like, he's uh, he's on his way down, and you don't hear any music for that like two seconds, and it cuts right back, and then for the rest of the scene, you see Mister Orange still listening to it until he right. turns off the radio. Right,
1: it's off in the middle of the song, and then it, like the whole tone shifts. Right, it's he's, really serious. And he suddenly has to he has to be like he has to be his guy um yeah it's, it's good stuff I, all right so do you want to start at the top yes yes
0: let's start at the top but i do i mean i'll probably say it again i love this soundtrack like this so yes. so well done and it's I, I didn't know that he spent so much money on it but like, like i said money well spent but um okay so first scene when they're uh in like the diner tarantino yep. starts off with his strength in its conversation yes
1: I love this because because Quentin Tarantino is the one introducing Quentin Tarantino dialogue, uh, which is so iconic and like no one else does it the way he does it. Um, and I, I, have a couple of theories of why it works so well. If you yes, if you no, hear please,
0: it. please, I'd love to hear this.
1: Um, so it's uh, other people try to do this. I've seen other other movies that are like similar in style. Things like, um, oh, what's his name, uh, Guy Ritchie's films. Uh, he also has like monologues or soliloquies. Uh, thrown in there, uh, but they never seem as authentic. I guess uh, they always seem like they're there to kind of, you know, make you say "why," I guess, instead of like make you think. I guess. I, I think that's the right um, word for
0: it. Uh, the authenticity of the conversations really what sells it. Like you, you genuinely believe right. that these are people having conversation, not people furthering a plot. Exactly,
1: um, and even in some other ones, the the, the conversations are kind of. Um, you know, non-sequiturs or something, they're not related to anything, kind of like Quentin Tarantino's, but his kind of, uh, they give depth to the characters by making them, like, interact with the world around them, Um, which is exactly what he does. He's talking about pop culture, which is something that he's obsessed with. Um, And I think the thing that really makes it real, though, is the interruptions. It's, it's when he's trying to tell the story and the people just keep interrupting him, talking about whatever they want to talk about, talking about Madonna or, like, the, why they like Madonna or whatever, um, instead of, like, his, um, his thesis.
0: And the book, the, like, uh, Mr. Chu, Chu, yeah? And right, <laughs> yeah, he's
1: sitting there th- in his own little world, right? Um, and, 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 like, that whole thing comes off, but, um yeah it, it's it's just this little like interactions with every people it's the responses of the other characters that make the the dialogue uh really pop out and and makes it uh, so much more real um and i think that response is really genuine because even though it's um even though his dialogue is kind of hyper real um it's when you hear someone if you heard someone in the bar talking about madonna's uh you know like a virgin and, and how it's really about big dicks uh, you, would, you would think that guy's an asshole, and you would interrupt him if you could um, and try and, like, you know, get your own thoughts in there.
0: No, I, I totally agree, and it's... I, there, I know that subtly there are things in this conversation that, um, I guess, like, forward the plot in the sense of, like, uh, kind of giving you an idea of who these guys are, but, it, for, for, like, for the most part, it just kind of gives you a, a nice introduction to the world of Tarantino, because uh, yeah. I, I know a lot of people like to emphasize the violence the Tarantino films have, and they definitely do. But I think the, if you had to choose one attribute, one specific thing to say that that is what Tarantino does best, it has to be dialogue.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I want to talk about the violence, too, but I think we'll get there in a minute. Right, right. So, there is something interesting um, that I kind of want to touch on, and that's kind of like the role of movie dialogue. You know, should movie dialogue reflect real life? Um, and I think, I think Tarantino does it perfectly, where it reflects real life, but it's also hyper-real. You know, there, nobody um, stumbles over the words. There's not like, it's not like a real conversation. There isn't ums or likes or anything thrown in there, you know? Right. It's, it's a, but, but at the same time, there's this kind of, you know, dance between the, the characters in, when they talk that you know, makes it real. But some people, um, when when they write a movie, they're like, "I want to make this exactly the way I talk." You know, I want to record what I'm saying and then transpose that and then have people say it almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of missing the point. I think movies are supposed to be are supposed to emulate what we want, not what we actually see.
0: I no, I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting thing. It's why people can't just wake up and be like, "I'm gonna write this movie." Really, here, like that, that's why they we yeah. have writers because they're able to put that on onto put something on paper, and then put it on screen, because honestly, I don't know how it's done. Uh, I just, I know it when I see it, but I, I don't think I'd be able to do it. But I, what I'm interested in is, because I remember when I watched this with you a few years back, you pointed out to me at the end of the scene when, uh, when they're t- doing the tipping, which first of all, uh, like every time I watch this movie, and then I go to a restaurant, I am like have to really force myself to tip, because I think that Mr. Pink has a pretty valid argument Uh, He kind of does, and it it, it doesn't. It it still kind of holds up even today. But that's not what I'm trying to get at. What I'm trying to get at is Mr. Uh, Orange immediately pointing out to Joe when Joe says, "Who didn't throw in?" And and immediately, without even uh, hesitating, Mr. Orange says, "Mr. Pink," and he's like, "Why not?" He doesn't tip and then uh right. and, and he's like why not he doesn't believe in it shut up you know and, and like <laughs> yeah why, why don't you believe in it yeah why, why, why is mr orange so quick to you know rat him out you even like yeah. i love the way you said it too because we were watching it and you're like that rat <laughs> like because it, it's like totally true uh, is there anything else in that opening scene that like tells yeah, you something I, about the characters or, or something important i think there's
1: a couple things um, nothing quite as explicit as that mm-hmm. um uh, this, uh, Michael Madsen's character, um, Mr. Blonde, mm-hmm. offers to kill uh, um, Mr. White, which he doesn't end up killing him. Um, he dies before they interact too much. Right. Uh, but he he kind of has that shade of like, um, I'm a sociopath. I'm going. I kill people for fun, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it, and he says like, you want me to kill this guy for you, Joe? Um, and everyone kind of laughs because they think it's a joke. But he you can kind of tell from later in the movie that he's actually kind of serious about it. So. Um, yeah, I think that's a little bit of a, some foreshadowing. Okay, no. And then yeah. I think there's also a little bit when, um, between White and Joe, uh, when they're talking, kind of establishing them as friends or like longtime partners um, because, you know, Mr. White kind of stands up for himself when he takes Joe's book, um, and I don't think any of the other guys would have done
0: that. Oh, definitely, yeah. And like I also like how in the opening scene, they give almost equal importance to everyone at the table. When yeah. later in the movie, total, there's ve- there's huge differences in how much you even see some of these guys. Yes,
1: uh, that's another thing that I really liked was that they um in the title se- in title sequence they have all the people at the diner and they, they name them and their actors right, um, and then two of them are seen again they they dive <laughs> off screen. <laughs>
0: oh, this is amazing! This is absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, um, which also I I, I the. The title sequence is awesome too. Another iconic little bit yeah. of uh, well, what is like that style? Uh, is there a certain like name of the style of like the text that they were doing? Is that associated with any sort of era, or is that just kind of a Reservoir Dogs thing?
1: I don't know. I th- it's definitely it definitely seems familiar, but I don't know if Reservoir Dogs was the first one to do it, and now it's been emulated, or sure. if that's something that he was copying from someone else. A lot of Tarantino stuff that Tarantino does is kind of you know taken from other people. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know if that has a specific name or anything, um, but yeah, I, I, it is really cool. It definitely helps you like kind of get into it.
0: So if we're are we do, are we done with the diner scene and ready to sure. move on? Sure. So, well, because I, I like the contrast because another thing that I, well we said that dialogue is the the thing that he does best. Violence is another thing that Tarantino does well on screen, and yes. it's such a contrast to go from this cool calm. And, you know, kind of witty, funny, opening conversation to the, uh, like, struggle of Mr. Orange trying to stay alive. He's been yes. shot in his stomach. He's screaming bloody murder. And it's like, oh, we're right into it. We are, like... I, I lo- it's jarring and uh, yes. gets you hooked in the movie immediately. Right, and you're like,
1: "Oh, this is the kind of movie we're watching." Yes. Um. And and yeah, Tim Roth's performance is amazing. I mean, just seeing him writhing around with all that blood and everything, it's uh, it's incredible. And I like, I can feel it, and I can see myself in that exact position. You know, if so, if I got shot in the gut, I'd probably be in the doing exactly the same thing. So I, am just so impressed. It's agonizing and, to see him. Yes. Struggle. Right, and and um. I think that's like one of the things that makes this movie really awesome is that uh he uh, tarantino makes a lot of emphasis on this one gunshot right he shows the devastation of just being shot in the gut It's something that you know other movies or other like tv shows you know people get shot all the time and they're like i'll shrug it off you know like it's shot in the shoulder and they're like oh i can still use that arm it's like no in 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 tarantino's movies the violence is real it's um it, it hurts it's visceral um, and it doesn't take a lot, you know. The human body is fragile, and he gets shot in the gut once, and he's—I mean—he's dead by the end of the movie, basically. Well, he's so.
0: useless for the rest of the time, really. He's literally yeah. lying on the ground in a pool of his own blood for the rest of the yes. like of the chronological part of the movie. Um, which no, I—it's I, definitely worth appreciating because uh, there's a lot of well, a lot of movies don't respect that at all. Um, one of the things that I also liked is you can see in this scene—it's hardly noticeable—is the car seat. The baby, like car seat in the back, and uh, and while that does get mentioned, that it gets mentioned later that she had a baby, it's very minimal. It's something that, uh, like, obviously it hurts him, but the movie doesn't make a focus on it, despite how tragic it clearly is, which I think is worth appreciating because I. he cares, but I don't think anybody else cares because he's, like, a cop. And I think that having a lot of focus on, like, him caring about the uh, like the baby dying would have been kind of too much, like, giving away too much or, mm. uh, or, or really just kind of distracting from the movie. But I like that it's kind of thrown in there just a little extra, like – not only is this bad, but it's like it's also really bad. Like I don't know. Yeah, like Tarantino's able yeah, I mean, throw that in there.
1: It's definitely really dark, and I mean the whole movie kind of has that darkness to it. Although it is, there's a lot of jokes too. There's a lot of stuff that's that's funny, um, and and yeah, I I, I agree. It's it's uh, it's amazing. Like uh, just how much is kind of packed into that.
0: So uh, yeah, so when they they get to the warehouse there and. Uh, Right. And then, and this is a part that I a
1: quote that I wrote down is when um, Mr. Orange tries to convince Mr. White to take him to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he says, I won't tell them anything. Um, which, of course, he's, he will because he's like, the rat. Yep. Um, But, like, I mean, yeah, like, I, I really like that uh, emphasis there because, you know, it kind of removes that plot hole of, like, why didn't he
0: try to go to the hospital? Yeah. You know, he, no. could,
1: he could have survived if he went to the hospital. Definitely.
0: And, um, yeah there, uh, it's definitely I actually would be interested to hear you like if you have any plot holes because I I don't I can't think of any obvious ones or I didn't see any like glaring ones there's
1: one big one that I want to talk about but that's okay. like
0: near the end so okay but um, I also liked how awkward the interaction between white and orange are when he's like laying on the ground he's like can you hold me I'm like that's kind of, like, I've never been dying before, so I wouldn't know what I would do in that situation. But I appreciated how, the, I was like, this is weird. He's, like, combing his hair and, like, holding him. And, like, Orange is laughing. And, I like, it's bizarre and uh, it's unsettling. And yeah. And that's, I'm like, this is probably what it's like. <laughs> so it yeah. it definitely sells it for me.
1: Yeah, like I, I originally wrote down white as a professional um, because he didn't take him to the hospital. But then I was remembering that he doesn't, he doesn't know. He thinks that if he takes him to the hospital, then Orange will be, um, be arrested. Um, so it's he's just he's probably the most compassionate character oh, of everyone, right? Definitely. He, I mean, to he, a I mean, seeing this guy fought, shot in front of him is obviously wrecking him. But just throughout the movie, he's always kind of high on his emotional horse, you know, and he's always. Um, looking out for for orange
0: yes and he is and that's that's his downfall right and it's it's yeah. his uh he is a professional but i think there's only one true professional in all of this and it's uh it's Stevie mr Shemmy. it's mr pink <laughs> yep and he, i mean he even points it out but he's like he says
1: he's a professional <laughs> several times yes
0: <laughs> but um well because there is one like it, but the thing is mr white they all appear professional at first, right? And, and Mr. White does hold it together that at first. A lot. <laughs> well, because when, uh, when Mr. Pink like shows up and uh, yeah. he's talking to Mr. White and they're like freaking out because all this shit just happened. I love the, like, I don't know. I just personally love this scene where Mr. White is like, I need you cool. Are you cool? And then Mr. Pink, like, off screen is like kicking something. And he's like, you hear like a bunch of ruckus. Yes. And he's like, all right, I'm fucking cool. And then they get down to business. And I was like, all right, this is how some real professional criminals do it. Yeah, that's
1: just really cool, like, really neatly shot, too. You know, the camera work is really steady throughout the whole movie, um, and you don't even see half of it. You know, it's, like, in the hallway, right? Yes. So, yeah, it's that's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's,
0: yeah, a lot of long shots, and also a long scene where it's just two people, and it keeps you engaged the whole time, which yeah
1: is... uh just the dialogue, the
0: strength of the dialogue. Yep, it really is. And honestly, like, it's worth watching it. Like, it's worth watching just that clip just to enjoy that dialogue like that part of the movie itself can stand on its own two legs uh they during that scene they cut back to mr pink running down the uh street because he asks him how did you get out and yeah and he's like i shot my way out and he and he talks about and they, they flash back to him running down the street and yes yeah, so there's a wilhelm scream there's a wilhelm scream that was what i was
1: gonna say <laughs> it's like i read that exactly what it happened it's too bar-
0: it's barely audible but you can you definitely hear it. and he pushes uh,
1: somebody and someone screams. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I love when Wilhelm screams are totally unnecessary because the guy that he pushes out of the way, it's not like he like flings him out of the way or like shoves no, him. No, when like you fall on a cliff or he, yeah, he just like, kind He's of bumps fell. him. And, ah! <laughs> like, uh, like I I love Wilhelm screams, dude. And it it's like oh, that's, funny. that's such a uh, like a I don't know what the it's like a filmmaker's, like, reference, right? It's like, this is a yeah, film. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know? <laughs> right. It's weird, but, yeah, it's just kind of a thing that people use just for, for fun, I guess.
0: It's, it's um, all, which, well, it's awesome to thought of on your directorial debut. You're like, I'm Yes, got to use legit. this, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know what I'm talking about. I know all the secrets. <laughs> all right, so I want to back up just a little bit um, to right before uh, Mr. Pink's getaway. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about um, how it's a setup and how, how they know it's a setup. Yeah. And, I, and this is kind of a pl- like a, a comment on the plot structure and just the way that the movie is written. Um, I think it's I think it's really smart because um, in the heat of the moment, you know, in your middle of a bank robbery, suddenly the cops show up and you're like, ah, oh, man, like, I'm, well, I meant uh, jewelry heist, excuse me, not bank robbery. Right. Um, they uh, The cops show up and they all freak out and separate, right? And they're all going, all, every man for himself is what he says. Um, and he says... Pink's asked uh, White, "Haven't you thought about this?" And White says, "I haven't had a chance to think about this um, because he's been dealing with uh, Mr. George." Um, and yeah, I think that's uh, really smart because in, in a lesser movie, say, the, you have a heist, right? And then suddenly the cops show up. You, the the robbers suddenly realize it's a setup. You know, they're like, "Oh, you know, we we were set up or something." Like it, it's um, it's it becomes obvious to them because they need to know. But you know, in the moments after the heist. When you have time to think about it and to reflect on it, then suddenly you're like, oh, maybe it was a setup. You know, I'm reanalyzing things. And you would only get that in a movie that's structured like this, where you don't see the heist, and you, you only focus on the moments
0: after. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's super obvious, but I do want to take a moment to appreciate the fact that you don't see the heist. And, and like you think in a, in a heist movie, it'd be like, oh, well, if you don't get to see a heist, that's like, why? What's the point? But it yeah. adds so much to this movie because you, you're you're trying to figure out what happened, you know, and it, and the way that right. it unfolds in front of you as you t- you hear from more of these guys is fascinating. Um, yes. It's,
1: um, it's kind of a, uh, a thing I just thought of, but it's, it's that whole idea of you don't see it so you imagine the best kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, he, he can't disappoint you with the heist because he never shows it to you. So it's whatever you imagine it's going to be. Well, um, and it's also and
0: it's, you don't know who you can trust because uh, especially when they introduce the idea, of course – Again, Mr. Pink, the professional, he's like, we've got a rat in the house. I definitely know this because I'm a professional and I see, like, I know when this is going on. And he's like, and he also knows how to deal with it, uh, which I also love. Where, where he's like, you're not using your brain unless you are think that everyone is a rat, like anyone. Right. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, you can't call me the fucking rat. Maybe you're the rat. He's like, that's yeah, using so your brain right now.
1: Yeah. yeah. He says, all right, now you're using your fucking head. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like
0: yeah. I, which exactly. It, that just makes it—it it just feels so much more real, you know. Because like you're—you're you're just along for the ride of these people who are actually trying to find the, the this this uh, undercover cop uh, instead yeah. of it feeling like a movie where it's like, ooh, who's the undercover cop? You know, uh, you're just like, oh shit! Like they, I because right. even during this, it's hard to think that like subli—like just subliminally, I think you put Mister Orange as like the least. Likely just because he's got he got shot and, and well yeah and and Mr White enforces that over and over he
1: says like this guy just got took a bullet for him he never gives you any real evidence you know and up until the point he gets shot there's no reason not to suspect him
0: and it, the thing is they're talking about cops they 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 talk about shootouts with cops they had to kill cops all that stuff no real people
1: just cops right
0: and, oh yes I do want to talk about that in a second but the, uh, that's always when he references orange getting shot is that he 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 took a bullet you know and they only talk about he never mentions that he got shot by a civilian who had nothing to do with the heist and uh and i guess i mean he killed her which definitely makes him seem not a cop but uh the the bullet that he took definitely wasn't from a cop so it's uh like i think everybody perceives it as him taking like the cop shot him but and that helps to seem like he's definitely not the not the rat but okay so let's let's talk about uh, the cops because he, he says I say like, you kill anybody just cops so no real people you know yeah and well I, I honestly don't understand the uh, that mentality do these guys think that cops are evil I guess it's because they're the
1: direct enemy I guess you know I mean even in the jewelry I mean they talk about the jewelry store and how they're they have to comply right the people in the store aren't going to be heroes they're just going to hand over the diamonds um, so the only people that are going to stop them are the cops really you know yeah. and the cops are going to use any force necessary apparently
0: but um, but i mean like because they i mean they, they definitely differentiate between like i guess just civilians which i guess we'll consider real people and cops yeah. cuz he talks about uh he's like if i have to if you if i'm trying to get out and you're in my way uh like the decision between going to jail and shooting some like Idiot is it's no decision at all, and yeah. uh, it's not that that's not the quote, but it's something close to that. And yes. uh, but I, I think it's interesting that they make the distinction that cops they don't consider cops to be real people. Well, yeah. I mean later in the movie they torture a cop, yeah, know? and they're all very happy to do it. So
1: I, mean, I think that's reinforced. I, I don't know, like I guess that's maybe the mentality of criminals uh, or these criminals. Yeah. You know, what, what's the, the deeper that...
0: meaning? Are these guys just? Like, are they not only looking for a way to get rich, but are they, like, also just anarchists? Like, they don't like, hmm. th- you know, the law and order? It's, uh, I don't know. It, That's it, interesting. It, it's because it, yeah. it, it's a hell, I feel like it's a belief that they hold together and they truly believe. Uh, so, I, I don't know. It's It definitely, in this mo- in the sense of this movie, helps you have, like, the cops versus robbers kind of mentality. And, yeah. and helps build animosity towards the eventual undercover cop the the, right. the rat but uh, that's true but i was uh i don't know i just thought it, it was something that i it wasn't obvious to me i was like oh man that is wh- yeah i wh- didn't
1: i didn't i didn't really pick up on that yeah. but you're totally right there is like this kind of underlying like uh fear or hatred toward law enforcement yeah
0: but anyways i thought it was interesting and, and definitely uh because de- as a real person i'm like ah, oh, dang dude like they, they killed kill the cops. Not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right. Okay. Let's keep moving. Um, hold on one second. Let me close my door.
1: Okay. Um, well, have, next thing I have is, um, uh oh, the scene between White and Joe. Um, when you talk about. Um, the the heist and everything. Oh yeah. Um, just just a couple of things, just to like, kind of set up who Joe is and how that works, um, and the fact that he uses ice to refer to diamonds. Yes. Um, just kind of getting into the, the like um, the, the vocabulary of criminals yeah. or the organized crime, uh, which I really appreciated uh, because it really you know sets up the world better and um, and does things like
0: that. No, definitely, um, and, and I, I, I liked that they really reinforce... I mean, they, they multiple times in the movie you see this, but they really reinforce that friendship between Joe and White because he starts off by ta- asking him about something that happened years ago with him. And yeah. Like, so you, you, right. you can definitely tell these guys they're old friends.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of a, a random tangent, but um, if you allow me a moment of, please, of ranting. Please, please. Um, so the, the newest Star Wars movie... Um, I've heard numerous people complain that it's, there's, our universe is leaking into Star Wars universe, and that we, they, the idioms and the phrases that they use, um, in the movies correspond to things in, in, like, real life. Like, people call people snakes, as referring to, like, things that are bad. Uh-huh. Um, or, like, the whole, uh, scene in the very, in the, in the new movie when they talk about, um. Uh, hanging up the phone or like being on hold and stuff like that you know like why would they even have the same connotations the same idea and it kinda of brings you out of the movie when you, when you start thinking about that you know they should have their own vocabulary in, in the original trilogy they kinda of do right They shoot womprats and things like that the things in the world in the universe mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that this movie does really well is that it uses the vocabulary um, of the universe to help establish the world even
0: better no, I, I definitely agree. I, it definitely feels like a movie that happened in the early 90s, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, like, one thing... Even though it's,
1: like, it's supposed to
0: be set in the 70s or, or not? No, it's, it's, uh, supposed to... well, it's supposed to be set it, after the 70s, right? Because they always listen to K. Billy's Super Sounds of the 70s, and they were right. all kids when they first heard those songs. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, I, yeah, think, I think I think it's stuff. set in the early 90s, because also... Um, nice guy eddie because they all wear the suits right nice guy eddie got his like his puffy 90s jacket which i totally
1: that's his that's his jacket by the way that's not a prop that's like (laughs) his that's chris penn's jacket that he wore
0: on set which the thing is i love that jacket i totally want it um but but i i loved it because i mean i I wrote that down and i was watching i was like dang nice guy eddie's jacket is like so early 90s dude like and uh it's it's great uh... Which, yeah, it really yeah. helps create the universe. Which also, just Tarantino does so well in all his films, is to just yes, bring you really and they're all And
1: they're all a little connected, too, um, which kind of brings us to the next part. Um, because uh, Vic Vega, who is Mr. Blonde, mm-hmm. um, is brothers with Vincent Vega from Pulp Fiction. Right, right, right. Um, both of who die in their movies. Um,
0: which, and, yeah. and the thing is, one of the things I really appreciate about Tarantino is his willingness to... Well, I know his movies are kind of in the same universe per se. They're all vastly different and have, you know, completely different characters in in all the movies, which I in in the, in today's cinematic like yeah, environment, universe building. Yeah, yeah, it's not common anymore. It, you know, if you do a movie that's as successful as Reservoir Dogs, you have to do sequels. You have to. Right. And you don't have to. Okay, let me rephrase that. You definitely don't have to. But people will tell you <laughs> there's you a lot of to, pressure yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, and uh, yes, exactly. And, and I think that that diminishes the uh, the value of the movie because if we were talking about it's like, oh, Reservoir Dogs is so good. Reservoir Dogs Two was pretty good, and don't <laughs> definitely don't watch Reservoir Dogs Three. You know, <laughs> exactly. That's like you know, like the Matrix did that and stuff. It's just like I, I appreciate his ability to say that was amazing, maybe the best thing I've ever made. Now I'm going to make something that's like just as good and it's completely but different, new. yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, and that, I, I this like,
1: is, like, the Tarantino universe is, like, in air quotes, is, is set up uh, when universes were fun, you know, when, like, things were kind of loosely based together and you kind of had to stretch your edges to make sure that things fit together well. Um, but, you know, that's not what necessarily what's happening nowadays. Um, yeah, and, and actually there was uh, talks of doing a prequel uh, with Vincent Vega and Vic Vega. Yes, I have heard of this. And it was called, like, The Two Vega Brothers or something. But And the, the so
0: thing like, is, as much as I would have loved to see that, and I'm sure I would have loved that movie, the one thing I know, like just off the bat I think would be a problem is plot armor. Because obviously neither one of them can die. Neither one of them can right. really get brutally uh, maimed in any way. Because we would have, in the future, because we see them up to the end of their life, we would know that that can't happen. So uh, while I'm sure it would have been great, uh, you, you would lose that little bit of realism that you get from Tarantino. I guess that's true. It's one of the things that I really appreciate that Tarantino does, and I think it's one of the reasons that people love uh, like great like dramas. I guess well, I don't know if it's a drama, but Game of Thrones is wildly popular because Mm -hmm. it's it claims you know you can claim that it has almost no plot armor. Anybody can really die. Towards the end of the yeah. towards the end of the series, we're getting to a point where that's not really possible anymore because you have to have a logical conclusion to the show as it yeah. nears its end. But early in the show, you you could lose any of the characters. massively important characters would die like that, and that is exactly what Tarantino does in all his films. Most of his films um like obviously right. i don't think Django was gonna die <laughs> but yeah. but there's most of his films it's anybody can die and, and this is a good example of it this movie and uh i think that makes for really entertaining you know cin- uh, cinema
1: oh yeah and you know it definitely raises the stakes and stuff and i think that's done to perfection in pulp fiction because of the nonlinear timeline yes um but, yeah, um, I, I think that, that movie would be fun. I don't necessarily need to see John Travolta and Michael Madsen, since they're both, like, super old now, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, reprising their, their younger selves um, from earlier movies. But I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing some younger actors take up the helm and have Tarantino direct a Vic Vega and Vincent Vega vehicle. So, I, know he, like, I know you're against it because of the plot armor thing, but I still think that would be pretty entertaining. Okay,
0: well, uh, who would you want playing the Vega brothers? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. I, Somebody uh... with black hair. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, like, oh, man, because what about, uh, what's his name? He was in uh, the Hateful Eight um the buff guy who is in Magic Mike, do I always forget his name? Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum, yeah. yeah. what if he dyed his hair black? He could be one of the Vega brothers. Yeah,
1: maybe. I guess so. That'd be kind of funny. He's in that uh, Tarantino wheelhouse now, so. Right? Yeah,
0: totally use him. Which, That's funny. Which is, uh, yeah, the, the Tarantino wheelhouse because he definitely reuses his actors, which is totally fine with me.
1: I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, Wes Anderson does the same thing. You know, anytime someone appears in a Wes Anderson movie, they're suddenly in every other Wes Anderson movie <laughs> that comes
0: out. Um, okay, so let's let's get back to it. So we were talking about, um, well, uh, uh, so yeah, we were talking about Mr. White and uh, Mr. Pink. They're talking and and also, okay, oh, yeah. can we? The, I, I, <laughs> I love this theme of pink as the Professional, the consummate professional throughout all of this, because yeah. he keeps a level head. He do, He makes like the most rational decisions. I didn't create the situation. I'm dealing with it exactly. And oh <laughs> uh, like that is so iconic too, though. Like them pointing the guns at each other, like Pink's on the ground and White's above him. And yeah, uh, that's like I want that on a poster. But uh, just let's just think about what he's dealing with right now, okay? So he just went to do this heist, and he's a professional. Mm-hmm. He's done this a bunch of times. Uh, finds out. They were, they were set up, so he's got a rat in the house. Somebody that right. he, is working with him is not who they seem to be. Mr. Blonde is a fucking psychopath. And just started blasting people away, which is going to get them all killed. It does get some yeah. of them killed. Well, initially, it like right then, it kills some of them. Uh, yeah. And then Mr. White tells this guy his name. He tells yes. Orange his name. And, like... <laughs> And when, it's falling apart. Yeah, and he's it's like, "Oh,
1: like well,
0: everyone here is totally incompetent. Like, he's like, "You, he's like, you almost told me your name. Just, you just to- almost just told it to me. I didn't even ask." And like, ah, <laughs> uh, like you have to feel for Mister Pink because oh, he's yeah. like, "What did I get myself into with these amateurs?" <laughs> <laughs> right? And uh, but that, yeah. So th- th- yeah, it, like <laughs> this scene with just white and pink. Uh, which had the it had the flashback in um, – actually, a couple of yes. flashbacks in the middle because they cut back for Mr. Pink's getaway and also Mr. White, uh, his, like, kind of origin, I guess, when he's talking to Joe. But right. when that scene is over – or I guess when that, that comes to a conclusion at the climax of them with this standoff, almost like a foreshadowing towards something that happens later, mm. boom, we finally have another character,
1: Mr. Yes. Blonde.
0: And it totally changes everything. And, uh yes
1: totally changes the dynamic because mr pink is suddenly not as um aggressive toward him. mr white addresses him directly and mr pink is kind of tr- there to mediate things um which which yeah and P- i
0: because the thing is here's the thing mr pink just got punched in the face and kicks all these on the a ground. bunch of times on the ground yeah, yeah and then a gun pointed in his face and does he hold a grudge? Of course not. He's a fucking no. professional. And he's trying to get out of this thing alive. And hopefully with yes. some money. You know, he got the diamonds. but He has um, the diamonds. Um, one of the things that I think is so, like, Mr. Bond is such a freaking psychopath. Not only does he <laughs> capture this cop and put him in his trunk. On right. his way to the rendezvous, he stops to get a soda and fries. What? <laughs> yes. What a like a savage! Man.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, he is. That is exactly what he is. He is, he is the definition of savage. Um, uh, yeah, and then uh, the part where the, um, uh, Mr. White and Mr. Blonde are facing off. You know, they're about to come to blows, and Mr. Pink gets between them. And then when they separate, Mr. Blonde says, wow, that was really exciting. Like, you know, he's like got his blood boiling. You know, he's like, he's kind of like an adrenaline junkie almost. Yeah. He's you know? kind of out there just trying kind to of doing things. But at
0: the same time, like the thing is, that was a tense moment. And he says his heart is racing, which I'm sure is yeah. true. But he's so calm. He's like, wow, my, that was really, that was really intense. My heart really is racing. I was like, Oh my god! What a weirdo! Like I know it, he's so weird, it, but it's it's my favorite type of psychopath because it's kind of like the uh, the charming and uh, just cool and collected psychopath like he's not like opening his eyes super wide and be like oh that was like super intense and like it's like no he is a a real psychopath which is way more unsettling than overplaying it so
1: absolutely and uh, yeah i want to dive into that in a second but, but before that there's an interesting bit of trivia um the guy who plays the cop actually wanted to know what it was like to ride in a trunk and Michael Madsen actually took him through a drive-thru and got a soda with him in the trunk. (laughs) And that is the soda that he has in the scene, too. He went to a Taco Bell. Oh, my
0: gosh. So cool.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, exactly what you're saying. I have that almost exactly written down, where he's the most terrifying kind of psychopath because his actions and his demeanor don't match um, his, like, like, the way he... That's not right. His demeanor and his words don't match his actions. Yes. Yes. Because... He's very aloof. He's, he's kind of like, you know, this kind of sauntering guy walks around and moseys around and, you know, and tells jokes and things. But he also cuts this guy's ear off and covers him in gasoline, you know. So and then, you know, of course, before we don't even see him shoot everyone.
0: He's uh, well, and I, I think it's cool that up still, we haven't seen him being like a true psychopath on screen yet, too, because yeah. we've heard of what he's done but he's still the cool, calm, collected guy we remember from the beginning. Uh, the psycho, I mean, he's showing signs of definitely being a psychopath, but the real sign, like, the, the, true, right. the real, like, scary thing that, of being a psychopath is, like, killing people, and uh, we haven't seen that yet, which I think is it's yeah. good suspense.
1: Oh, yeah, and I remember the first time uh, when we talked about this movie, you talked about how when you saw Reservoir Dogs for the first time, that, that scene where he tortures the cop it took forever, and it was just like this visceral. Like every second, you can feel it, and I was really paying attention this time. And yeah, like it really does drag out, um, and I, I I really like it. You know, it it really kind of hammers home just the, how awful it is.
0: Yes, yes, and we will talk about that. We will get to the uh, okay. the uh, the torture scene, obviously very iconic. But um, well, another quote that I liked from this part of the movie was uh, his logic behind blasting everybody away in the in the uh, the yeah. jewelry warehouse was he's like, I don't like alarms. Well, yeah, and he's like, if they, ha- if, because he told them not to set off the alarm, and they did. And he's like, if they hadn't done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive. That's like, and that takes <laughs> perfect sense for him. And it's like, Ugh. I guess I, I can't really argue with that, but also, like, that's his right. counter to coming, like, what we've twisted, heard so far, Like, Yeah,
1: and, and I, maybe that's like the exact sign of a psychopath is like the disregard from human life, you know? Yep. It's like, they, they slighted me in the slightest way. And so they die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and a, yeah, it's another like a part of like a good Tarantino dialogue is the the kind of reuse of language in a way. You know, mm. like if they hadn't done what I said not to do, it's kind of rhymes in a way. Yeah, you know?
0: it has a really good rhythm to it. Uh, so at this point, they uh, nice, guy nice guy Eddie comes shows Eddie up. Comes, yeah. 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 And with his early '90s jacket that I totally love and uh and he kind of gets them you know going and and i like how even though they definitely have conflict within each other they are all at the very minimum trying to work towards this goal of getting out of this alive like they like i think obviously in real life crime is bad but it's also cool and uh it's cool to see like these like these clear professionals uh going at it um in different levels of professionalism but definitely professionals um, right, and how they deal with the situation. Right. Because
1: if they're amateurs, it wouldn't be as fun, you know? You want to see how the, the real guys do it.
0: Exactly. And it's also kind of cool to see, like, people who are clearly good at this and done it before fail, finally, you know? Yeah. Because I, 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 that was another thing I was thinking about when I was exploring the idea of how he didn't, create more movies from like reservoir dogs because I think right. it would be really cool to see this crime syndicate in action, you know? Cause yeah. it's, there's all these secrets. Like these guys are all really good in working together, but they don't even know each other's names. Like they, they really cover their tracks and just like, I think that would be yeah. an entertaining movie. Uh, but this is even, you know, it's, this is more unique than just watching like good criminals. It's, right.
1: He kind of does both. He kind of gets both of this world, right? You kind of set up the criminal, criminal, Criminal syndicate, and then you see how you, it falls apart. Um, yeah, to back up just a bit, the Talk talking about that scene between Vic Vega and Joe, mm-hmm. when they're talking about the logistics of setting up a fake job for him. Um, yes. And they go through all the details of like how this would work, you know, and what she doesn't have to do, but it, it really kind of, again, sets up this world that he, he didn't, and shows just how professional Joe and, and Eddie are, you know, and they, they've done this thousands of times. They know exactly what to do.
0: Yeah, fucking Skagnetti. <laughs> like they they didn't have to talk about his parole officer but it totally yeah i i I literally
1: said that as michael Madsen was like like, how's how is he he's a fucking asshole
0: (laughs) love that oh yeah oh and also like just i mean i feel like we're really piling it on at this point but how natural it is that uh vic and uh nice guy eddie like wrestle and fight and like call each other like gay and stuff it, and like it
1: reminds you of someone you know don't you right
0: yeah and it, it's like <laughs> it's so real and it even gets to the point where it's kind of awkward because Joe is like alright knock it off like stop <laughs> yeah. doing this you guys want to wrestle do it in in, in Eddie's <laughs> office but like uh, it, and it totally wastes time in the movie like wastes time but it's not yeah. because it's really selling the that these are real people with real lives and you know real interactions they don't they don't act like there's a camera pointed at them asking them right. to please further the plot and, uh, yeah, and, and, and
1: you never find out what that like the nature of the relationship until after Mr. Blonde dies, right? Right. You you know that they're good friends and they're all very appreciative, and it's not until, you know, later on you watch the movie a second time that you realize exactly why like they look at him with such awe.
0: Right. Right. Because yeah, that was such a big moment in their relationship because he's he's finally out of jail. And, yeah. Uh, which is yeah, awesome. Um, but yeah, going getting getting back into it. Uh, well, I guess this is the point where. Nice guy. That he leaves uh, with uh, yes. pink and white, and he's alone at last with the cop <laughs> um, and Mr. Orange and Mr. Okay, Orange, Mr. You're right? Right. But miss and, and Mr. Orange at this point is you know incapacitated or at least seems incapacitated, right? And uh, well, yeah. So getting into like the the torture scene, I love how it starts off with the music before he really does anything to him. Actually, does he put the tape on his mouth before or after he turns on the music? I don't know. Um... What? I think he, I think he turns the music on first, because
1: he he gets off of the thing he's sitting on, and he asks him if he's ever listens to K. Billy, um, yeah. and he turns on the music, and then I think he's messing with the duct tape after that.
0: Wait, wait, sure no, how. actually, no, because he's explaining to him. He takes, he has the duct tape first, right? He oh, explains okay. to him that he's like, you can, you can say whatever you want. I don't really care. Like, I'm gonna torture you anyways, which is horrifying. Yeah. When you're first watching this, <laughs> you're like. Oh, no. Oh, no. What's just yeah. Because this guy is the guy that we know kills a bunch of people just out of nowhere. And now he's explaining to us that he doesn't care about finding out who the rat is. He just wants yeah. to torture him. And not only does he say that, he's like, you can say what you want. I've heard it all before. Like, oh, no. He's he's, like, he's experienced at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, he's, yes. and he clearly is because the way he puts the tape on his mouth, he does it so that he doesn't have any sort of struggle. He goes behind the cop, and the cop is you know taped to a chair so he can't do anything to right. look back. And then he waits until the cop's head is still and then puts it over the mouth, instantly like silences him, and there's no struggle. And that, and then he goes over to the radio, and now he's talking to him. He knows he can't talk back, and it's like absolutely horrifying. But yeah, the music turns on, and it's a great song. Definitely worth the money because it, immediately you're like, yeah, I like this song, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's yeah a, and Go ahead. it
1: gives it kind of a new meaning, too, because, um, you know, stuck in the middle of you, right? The, with the clowns in this. What's it? Clowns on the left, Joker's on the right. Um, and that's exactly kind of the situation both the cop and Michael Madsen are in, right? There's all these people that, like, everything is going crazy around them, but right now I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yeah. And that's the worst place I can be. And, uh, <sighs> yeah.
0: And, and it, like, they kind of get you trapped or not trapped but the, the song's so catchy. you you might and then Mr. blonde who you still haven't seen do anything super heinous yet right He starts dancing to it and you might as the viewer, you might kind of get into it too. you know you're like, ah, like I like this song. And then yeah. slashes him in the face, and you're like, "Oh no, I'm a part of this." Like <laughs> I was, I was rooting, for, like I was like feeling this song, you know. And now, right. now I'm like also guilty of this, uh, which was just awful, but also you know amazing to uh, yeah that like the movie can make you feel that way.
1: Yes, and and then to go back into like the kind of sociopath that um, Michael Madsen is, um, he when he cuts off his the guy's ear, um, he starts talking into it. He says. Hey, what's going on? Uh, can you hear this? Yeah. And he's laughing. It's so funny. He's just like, how you can you not laugh at that? It's so hilarious. He's like talking to the guy's ear when he's not attached to him. I'll be honest. Um, the first
0: time I watched it, it was definitely not laughing. <laughs> 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 and, and it's also, I think it's great that he doesn't show the ear being cut off. It, yes. it, it like pans over to the side. Because the first time I watched this scene, it, was, it felt so much longer. It felt way scarier because yeah. he's so... I wouldn't say hesitant but he definitely takes his time when he's when he's torturing this guy and right. that gives you time to imagine what he's about to do which is infinitely worse than anything he actually could do. So while while you're watching you're like oh no what is he going to do what is he going to do like and, and, and you don't even know what he is doing when he's cutting off the ears so you're like what oh, what's happening and right. uh, it's just that is for me like the most enjoyable like scare when it's uh, when he lets your own mind run wild and imagine the worst thing you could possibly imagine which is going to scare you the most it's interesting
1: because uh tarantino has this kind of relationship with violence where he he always he's always showing you like the most bloody stuff you know everything's things things are exploding you know people are dying and things but he cuts away from you know the ear being cut off and that's probably for practical reasons right like how would you actually film something like that but it's also kind of like a, a, a leniency you know You're like this is this is for entertainment you know i'm not going to disturb anyone farther than i have to do mm-hmm. um, and i that's, that's something that kind of goes back to like ancient greek plays where a lot of the action would have happened off screen or off the stage mm-hmm. like when people were murdered they were murdered off stage and it wasn't until the romans started making their own plays that people were started getting murdered on stage um, because they thought that the audiences would like that um but I think Tarantino does share a lot of similarities to, like, ancient Greek stuff because it's a lot of similarity to – a lot of um, emphasis on dialogue and setting up, uh, you know, memorable characters. And, of course, everyone
0: dies at the end, so it's that, yes, also uh, a Greek right. tradition. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Great uh, great little parallels right there. I, uh, Thanks. But, uh, yeah, well, it, it, so getting back to it, we th- we talked about it earlier, but the when he – gets the when he goes outside to get the can of gasoline yes it's such it's almost like you burst out of like being underwater for like a long time you finally you gasp for breath because you escape this the music which is has been the all you've heard for the entirety of this torture this very intense torture scene and now for a second you have a moment to collect yourself and be like this is what is happening you know, right. as he does something mundane, which is just grabbing a can of gas out of his trunk uh, before heading back in there, and you're like, "Oh," and you're right back to it. Yes, exactly, and
1: uh, yeah, it's such a, a cool shot. You know, that whole just tracking, following him out outside, um, and it, i think it does a really good job of setting up. This is a real location. This isn't a set. You know, this is a, a warehouse that they just found or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool.
0: And uh, and then. Bringing him back in there, and, oh, and one thing I, I, I meant to point out before we got into the whole, like, actually the torturing part of it was uh, he, when the song first starts, he goes over to Mr. Orange and, like, lifts up his ch- jacket and, like, looks at his wound, which yeah. I think isn't, again, it's not super, they don't emphasize it super hard, but I, I think just, for as a viewer, you see that as, like, reinforcement, Orange is still out of the picture. He's definitely right. not going to come back, but... yeah like we know he totally he does, does. <laughs> and uh but yeah i, I thought that was cool I, I appreciate little things like that because i think on my first t- the first time i saw this movie i didn't i didn't see anything coming and maybe that's just right. because i'm not super perceptive but i like to think that tarantino does a good job of uh, kind of, of playing with his expectations yes. yeah
1: yes exactly um and that's a great example
0: uh, oh and okay and are, are, are we ready to close up the 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 torture scene because i think i have
1: one more thing to talk about go ahead, but... go ahead yeah go ahead um, so, uh, when he's pouring gasoline on, uh, the cop, yeah. uh, a little bit of like, of liquid gets on the camera lens. Um, oh, yeah. and, and it's like, you're really there, you know, I, 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 I some movies do that too. I, like the Revenant kind of did that a mm-hmm. little bit where, um, Leonardo DiCaprio is breathing on the lens and can, it fogs up a little bit. Um, it just, like puts you like, like in the moment kind of thing um well and, yeah it's like it's real subtle it's only there for a couple frames but it's pretty cool
0: well I, I that leads right into what i was gonna say because mr blonde i thought was pretty cool throughout all this like he uh he said uh he has that line where he's like are you gonna bark all day little doggy or are you gonna bite um, yeah and the, his final words literally his last words <laughs> are a wizard of oz reference <laughs> which what i does he, say? he says have some fire scarecrow <laughs> <laughs> In my opinion, like this whole time, he's pretty badass. Maybe he's a psychopath. But he's like pretty badass. Right. And that is the most bitch way to die is like <laughs> making a Wizard of Oz reference and then getting shot. Uh, we should all be so lucky. <laughs> which I did. I never noticed that before because it's it's pretty tense. Because at that point, he's literally yeah. about to light him on fire. The music is playing, and uh, and uh, that like you, the gunshots ring out basically as he's saying it. Um, but. What a bitch way to die with a Wizard right. of Oz reference. <laughs> That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> okay, so do you want to move on to um, the Mr. Pin- Mr.
0: Orange's backstory? Yes, which it's it's such a great time to do it too, because you're like, huh, Mr. Orange, where was he? Like, right, oh, yeah. Oh, the, the other thing before uh, right before we go
1: into that, the the cop knows that like recognizes Mr. Yes. Orange, uh, yes. which I thought was amazing. You know, because he he kept himself from. Spilling the beans, you know. Not that it would have mattered, apparently, but
0: right. But um, you know, you got to give him credit. Um, yeah. It just sucks because, like, I don't think even he imagined he was going to get his ear cut off. Like, no. He made me beat to a pulp, but like being deformed. Yeah, uh, he's I'm
1: deformed now. Yeah, like, uh, that's
0: <laughs> I mean awful. But okay, yeah. Let's talk about orange. Yes.
1: Um, so the commode story um, is. Uh, really amazing. Okay, wait. Um, before we get into that, I, I just yes, wanted to ahead.
0: talk about something right before they start the commercial story. Because, uh, yes, do they ever say the name of that like African American gentleman he meets? No, but I military? looked it up. It's
1: Holdaway. Holdaway.
0: Okay, his name is Holdaway. Okay, that's it's. He's played by a Randy Brooks. Okay, well Holdaway is talks to him, and and I, it's they don't really emphasize this very much, but they talk about Long Beach Mike and Long Beach Mike is the connection that ends up getting Orange into Joe's crew. Oh, and okay. uh, and, I, and I'd and i never even paid attention to that before because it's the first thing they talk about when they sit down and then they get on with it and get really into the, the, the thick of it. But yeah. Long Beach Mike is this guy we don't ever see who uh, – Orange says, "Do right by him. He's a nice guy." Because Long Beach Mike set them up, and now they're in. His he just met Joe Cabot. He's now Mr. Orange is excited because he's gonna be like doing something undercover, and, right. and he says, "Do right by night by ni- by uh, Long Beach Mike. He's a nice guy." And Holdaway says, "He's selling out his amigos. He's not a nice guy. He like I'll take right. care of his ass." And I think it's interesting how Mr. Orange kind of starts to develop an affinity for the criminals he's working with Hmm. because uh he you know he definitely I think that comes together towards the end when he's talking to uh with Mr. White he definitely starts to develop relationship with Mr. White but at this point this Long Beach Mike who we never see he even is like yeah he's a good guy and he's like uh no he's clearly he's definitely not a good guy don't think that he's a good guy so I, I forget which side you're on that's that's really interesting I never picked up on that
1: yeah um, yeah, and I think, something I was just thinking about, but I think this really sets up how cool the cops are, too, right? You know, these two guys who are cops, but they don't look like cops, you know, they have this whole, like, um, you know, sting planned, um, which is so elaborate, too.
0: Right, and they're not, like, you know, turn your badge in, you know, like the, the kind of, like, stereotypical cops. It's like, yeah. who is Holdaway, you know? He's like, yeah, who is he? Is he
1: like a... <laughs> Uh, like undercover trainer or something. Like, I I guess he's his handler or something. Well, that's just the kind of shit
0: you gotta bring in when you're dealing with like this level of under, like just underground crime, which is uh, yeah, which I think yeah, that's a good point. It does kind of make the cops uh, on the same playing field, kind of cool, like the like the criminals. Right. But all right, let's talk about Um, this story. Okay.
1: So yeah, I, I really love this this whole thing. Um there's so there's so much here to I think uh, to unpack just the whole idea first of all of how he learns to tell a story and then the story continues and eventually literally becomes real like he's literally standing in the bathroom talking to the cops with the dog right okay uh, um, so
0: let's let's talk about like the steps of that is so first they're on yeah. the rooftop and they're talking about the idea of the story right and how yep. he, and the reason he needs to learn yes it. and he's like it's a, it's an amusing anecdote about a drug
1: deal is what he said <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so he's like and I and I love that he says tell you you gotta learn to tell it like it's a joke because yes. that's so true I wonder if that's like an actual thing for undercover cops that I, makes that's so much sense that's something
1: that that I've definitely like internalized myself whenever I tell stories like I think about this and like how to tell a good story this is exactly all the, the points you need to hit um, and yeah it's like you remember it's like telling a joke. You remember all the the broad detail broad things, and then the, the details really sell it. Yeah, and you make, um, it, you is, make it your own. Yes, um, which is something that I, I want to talk about. Which is kind of, um, you know, it's a bit of a rant, but let okay. Me, well, let me I, go. We will.
0: I will. I will release you onto that rant in a second. I just want to. I want to focus on the stages of how this story builds. Right. Go ahead. So they first we learn about like the the, the story in general, the amusing anecdote, and then yeah. the, next it shows Mr. Orange in his. Uh, in his apartment, and he's practicing it, and he has to right. stop halfway through a sentence to, to and like find the line that he's on. Yes, he's which I've done before. <laughs> yeah, and then and then he's like ah, and he continues. Then it shows him in like this like graffiti yard is what I, like, the best way I could describe yeah, it. I, I don't guess. know what that is. It was like a abandoned stage or something, but with a bunch of graffiti. He's practicing to uh, hold away, and he's telling him, and, he, and it's getting a little bit more conversational. A little bit naturalistic, you might say. Yes. Naturalistic as hell. Yes. <laughs> and then, then they're in the bar, and this is what he was referring to. Which right. is why we're even going to this flashback, because he asked, "Did you use the uh, what do you call it? The uh, the commode story. The commode story. Yes. And so, they, and so now he's telling it to nice guy Joe and Mr. White. This is literally what's happening. But to, yeah. to make it even more believable, and for, and also one thing I appreciated was how when he talks about the reason he was going with this girl is because her brother was in county, so he couldn't go with her. And they're yes. like, and then Mr. White stops him. Why was he in county? And, exactly. And he explained. Oh my <laughs> And he, he's like, oh, uh, he had some like. I know the answer to that. Yeah. He had, like, yes. he's like, and the thing is, his, he didn't have the exact answer. He was like, it was traffic tickets. That's why he went to jail. He was like, uh, right. he had like, some traffic tickets, and they had him, and they, they, they brought him to county. Like, do you think know.
1: that was improvised, or do you think that was written to the story?
0: Uh, I... Th- but actually, I believe it was he planned it. I think he yeah, did okay. because I, Mr. White is—I'm uh, not sure—White. Mr. Orange is really good at what he's doing, and uh, and I think I think that he he had that plan before. But also, okay. I mean, I guess it's equally likely he could have just come up came up with it. Uh, but I, I think he's pretty calculated, at least for the Komodo story. But sure. so then, so then the next thing we see is him actually in the bathroom, and he's telling the story. He is speaking in the scene telling the yes. story to... to Which has never happened, by the way. Right, right. <laughs> it's a fake story. <laughs> right, right. So he's he, you see him there, and he's talking about it, right? <laughs> and he's... The character in the story is explaining out loud what is going on around him. Yeah. Until it he stops, and it's just happening. He's no longer right. talking, and you hear the police carrying on their story. Yes. I and love that. And it's absolutely it's just, happening right there. It's just
1: all these like levels of realism that just kind of collapse on each other. And so the point where the story, like you tell a story so well, it becomes real. And that's exactly like what Tarantino is doing right now, right? He's telling a story that's never happened, but he's doing it in such a way that it becomes real.
0: There is absolutely a film class in some college classroom going on right now where they are explaining that this is a whole day they're spending on just <laughs> this you know I, I, yeah. as like a way to t- storytelling because this is a, it, like just amazing. Another part of the movie where you, if you just you could just look at just that and it was stand on its own two legs like it just it works so yes, well. Yes I love that. Um, but, yeah so to, to go back just a, a, a tad
1: so what he says um, it's the details that sell your story. I think that's absolutely true. and I think it's, um, it's part of this phenomenon known as emergence which um, is something that you see in nature all the time. Things like um, schools of fish um, that demonstrate emergence. Like the idea that uh, one small stupid thing, uh, when you put it in a bunch of other things that are also small and stupid, it makes something great and like really smart. Okay. Um, like, the school of fish example is good because I can kind of understand how it works, where a, like a, one fish has two rules. If you see danger, swim away from it, and if another fish touches you, swim with it, right? And, like, by itself, it doesn't do much, but when you have a whole bunch of fish with you, you suddenly create these, like, weird amoeba structure things that are both solid and liquid, and, like, nothing could catch them. Have you ever seen, like, dolphins try to chase schools of fish? They can only get, like, a couple of them at a time because they're always moving so fluidly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's emergence. Um, And and you see the same thing in things like um, computer chips. Where, when you're making computers, you um, have, you know, switches, thousands and millions of switches in it, of transistors and gates and things, um, and by themselves, those things are simple, you know, they let power through they don't let power through. But when you combine them together, suddenly you have computers that can calculate how many atoms there are in the universe. Sure. And I think that um, emergence um, is present in art, especially in movies, and where it's the details that make the art real. When you focus, you focus on the story and everything. That has to be there, right? But if you don't have the details, you don't have the costumes. You know, the, the words. Um, you don't have those little things. It doesn't sell the story nearly as well as when you have it. Um, and it's those accumulation of details that makes the story amazing.
0: I anyway. I totally agree. I think that that kind of encompasses a lot of like what we've been saying here. Is this small and insignificant really selling like the whole picture? Yeah, it's really. I like that. I, I definitely do.
1: Okay. Um, yes, we talked about that already. I'm oh, sorry. do this page.
0: So, was uh, just really quick. Was uh, who plays Mr. White? What's his name again?
1: Uh, Harvey Harvey Keitel.
0: Harvey Keitel was he a big part of getting these other actors? Because I mean, directorial debut. This is this is a pretty good. Like, I, I'm not even gonna say like the most famous actors. Just talented.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, um, uh, there's there's a lot of trivia on um, IMDb that I didn't go through. A lot of stuff about the casting and how some people were cast originally, or some people wanted, some other people uh, were thought to be cast. Um, one okay. of the most interesting ones was that Quentin Tarantino wanted the role for Mr. Pink himself, uh-huh. um, and um, Steve Buscemi originally auditioned for the part of Mr. White, um, but. Basically, in the in the interview, like, in the audition, um, Tarantino laid it out for Steve Buscemi. He's like, um, I want this part for myself unless you can sell me so well on on, on you being the guy. And apparently he did. So, um, yeah, he, like, took it away from Tarantino, like, out of Tarantino's grasp because he was such a good actor, uh, which is amazing. So I, 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 I agree know. with that. <laughs> I think you could spend a lot of time talking about, like, what could have been, what all the actors that might have been in it, but... I don't know. I don't think this is important. What we have, it works really well the yes. way it is, and I don't think it really could be improved with the different actors.
0: Uh, yeah, and I, I, well, and also, I, I think that Pink is probably my favorite character in all of this, and Steve Buscemi is a big reason why. He's yeah. amazing. <laughs>
1: he is great. <laughs> okay. Alright, um, so where, where were we? Oh, I, okay, I have a question about something. I don't know if you know the answer to this. Um, Ms- we were talking earlier about the scene where Mr. Orange is in his apartment, and he's turned off the music, and he goes back outside to meet with um, nice guy Eddie and the rest of them. Right before he leaves, he pulls out a wedding a wedding ring out of
0: a, bo- ball, a bowl of coins. Do you know yes. why
1: he puts that on?
0: For from my perspective, what I saw that as was just another detail of who he is. So he in the apartment in his own <clears throat> in his isolation i guess just like when he's not playing the part i guess no. <clears throat> he's not mr orange he's uh what's it what was his name because they, they say his first name uh, oh i don't know hold on oh. i have the cast list right here. because yeah the cop knows his name freddy uh, freddy freddy yeah <laughs> um and so yeah so that's he's freddy then but when he goes to hang out with these guys he's mr orange and mr orange wears a ring and I, okay. I think that's just part of him. I, I I don't know if this is it, but from, from yeah, but it seems kind of weird there.
1: that he had it like hidden in the bowl of coins. It almost seems like an afterthought. He puts it on. I don't know. Like it's so it's, it's a weird moment for me. I don't and I don't really understand what the purpose of
0: it was. Did you have any theories from it? Or Not like... really.
1: Besides what you're saying, that like that's part of his like character, but that doesn't really hold up for me because he doesn't have it laid out. You know, like mm-hmm. I feel like if that was part of his disguise, that would be. You would have that next to his, you know, criminal shoes or whatever he has, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they, I, it wouldn't be hidden away. It would be um, out in the open.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah. I honestly, I, I'm not really sure. Uh, that was just kind of how I saw it. And also, I, right after that, I, I like how he went and talked to himself in the mirror. Like, he made a point to do it. Uh, right. To, to like, talk he opens himself. the door and then he closes it
1: and says, you're cool.
0: Yeah. You have no but, fucking well, clue. And the thing is, I think part of his strength is to be able to convince others that he is who he is, including himself. yeah he's like now I am orange and I'm telling you they're not gonna figure it out right you know and I I, I like that. it's, it's, it's kind of getting him in the zone, the transformation it back into his character uh, who he really or well who he's pretending to be right. So okay, so we got through that. Where are we at now? Where's the next um,
1: thing we're to talk about? A small thing I want to mention, um, which has no consequence, but um, when they're all in the car, none of them are wearing seatbelts.
0: Oh, um, I didn't I know that. I don't know
1: why they're, like, this is, I mean, this is, this is the 90s, right? People were, yeah. st- were wearing seatbelts. Seatbelts were, like, definitely more of a thing. Because, like, back in the, the 70s and 80s, um, the seatbelts weren't as enforced. Um, yeah. But later on, they were, so... I don't know if it's because they're criminals and they're rebels, so they don't, <laughs> they don't wear seatbelts, but it seems like a weird thing to do.
0: Right. No, I definitely can see that being it. I mean, they they hate cops just in general, so they probably just hate laws in general, too. Right. right? So they're just like, oh, yeah, Seatops. let's just let's break this law real quick. <laughs> Got him. <'em. laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I guess the next thing I have, the next scene that I want to comment on is when nice guy Eddie uh, shows up back at the. Uh, Oh you don't read, want to talk read.
1: about when um when Joe uh is planning the heist and they're all standing around uh or sitting around in the thing talking about how um uh, how they can't choose their own colors.
0: Well yeah, I go I mean I didn't uh, have any written notes Okay. On the uh, yeah,
1: I I love that part. Um and especially when he first comes in and he's like I tells him that that story like uh all those guys um were going around with a bunch of friends whatever they set up a caper and then they all stood they were all they were all in the um uh, in the jail cell uh, talking about what went wrong and whose fault it was and everything. And they're like, wait a second. When we were playing this, k all we did was tell jokes. <laughs> 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 oh, <it's> so funny. <laughs> and yeah, it's like, I mean, this one also fails, but is it because they were telling jokes? I mean.
0: Well, uh, it's, the, the, yeah, well, it, I liked how it was, uh, there's like that theme of like <laughs> professionalism in crime. Yeah. And how they all value it, but they don't all show it all the time uh, yeah. especially i mean that's almost uh, like the juxtaposition right there is the how joe is emphasizing professionalism and they're not uh you know showing it they're not being very exemplary professional criminals uh because they they're getting worried about you know what name is good which also yeah. hilarious like it's kind of outside of like tarantino but like it's funny that Steve Buscemi is Mr. Pink. Like, I don't know. I just think that's hilarious. He's He always gets kind of, like, the bitch character. Right. Uh,
1: and, yeah, he wants to be Mr. Purple, but Mr. Purple is a different guy in a different job. You know, <laughs> like, like, yeah, Joe's got a lot of guys out there, all different colors. you think he has, like, a, a bunch of sticky notes, all of them in different colors, and he writes down the guy's names on them, you know? Like...
0: <laughs> he's got about on a map where they're at. Yeah. Like, the sticky note is here. Uh, and he's, well, and also Tarantino gets, like, a, a like a little bit of self uh, What's it called? He, he laughs at himself a little bit. Oh, yeah, a little self-deprecation. Yeah, yeah self-deprecation. Bad. Yeah, that's what i was yeah. uh, before. And Mr. Shit. <laughs> yeah, Mr. yeah and, and Mr. Blue makes another appearance, a very that's right. limited time. His um, only lines are in the diner. Yep. Um, and, yeah. and he definitely dies. You don't even see it. Nope. Um, but Anyway. Yes.
1: Yeah, and um, there's also um, one of my favorite lines, which is, let's go to work, which was written on one of my posters I had. I had a bunch huh. of quotes from movies.
0: Oh, I remember uh, that post. And, yeah. and
1: Mr. And, and not Mr. Joe. Joe says, "Let's go to work before they start talking yep. about thing," which is actually a reference to a different movie called the Professionals, um, according to IMDb. Wow! See anyway. more professionalism. Boom! <laughs> That's true. I didn't think, <laughs> think that up off that. Good job. <laughs> All right. Um, one more thing to talk about um, mm. before we get into the end. Yeah. Um, Mr. White and Mr. Orange are talking. about um, about what's going to happen for the um, heist, about what job everybody has. Uh-huh. Um, and Mr. Orange asks him what to do with people that like, misbehave, that he, when you deal with heroes. Yes. Um, and Mr. White goes through like, a very methodical approach of how you deal with people. Uh, which I thought was really interesting. Kind of added some depth to his character and showed him like he's got experience and he's also kind of like this this hard guy, you know. Like he doesn't he doesn't want to kill people, as like we mentioned earlier. Um, but he'll do what he has to to get the job done.
0: Right. Well, and it, it also uh, that was his his assignment, right? He was on he was crowd control, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was because that scene starts with basically. Mr. White quizzing Mr. Orange on how the heist is going to go down. Yeah, and uh, and he and Mr. Orange is at the door, not letting anybody in or out. That's his job. And uh, but Mr. White, like this is his specialty, right? Is the crowd control, dealing with the people on the inside. That's right. And he, and he talks about basically he explains to Orange how it's done, but Orange isn't even going to do it. It's going to be him. Um, which later they even talk about. Well, it, earlier actually, they talked about. Uh, Mr. Pink was saying, "Now he knows your name, where you're from, and, and your, specialty. your specialty." Yeah, and uh, which I thought was pretty cool. That was, I mean, these guys are all on this job for a reason, and uh, but yeah, I, and and again, professionals. They he's not saying it's like here's something you could do. He's like, this is what you do, right? Because I've done this, this works. Before. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, so let's get to the end. Okay. Um, so um, Eddie comes back, and um, Mr. Blonde is dead because Mr. Owen shot him. Um, and Joe is also there. Well, in a few minutes, Joe shows up, um, and everyone's uh, you know
0: upset, obviously. Well, okay, so when they talk about how he was torturing the cop and he was gonna kill him, yeah. and he's a nice guy. Eddie's like, oh, this cop, and then he shoots him three times and he kills him instantly. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was. While it was awful, like to see the cop die, for me it was a little bit of um, like merciful relief. Yeah, because, me too. Because I was like, okay, for, for the first time I was seeing, it, I was like, what else is gonna happen to this cop? But also, second off, um, does he really want to stay alive at this point? Like, I know, like losing your ear probably isn't the worst thing that can happen to you, <laughs> but like the psychological torment he went through and uh, just like, it's like at least it didn't get worse for him. There, there, yeah. there have been more tragic deaths than the than the cop. Uh, what, what yes. was his... Do you remember his name? Because they exchanged names. I don't remember.
1: Um, I have it No, Hold on. Uh, Marvin. That's right. Marvin, Marvin. yeah.
0: R.I.P. Marvin, dude. He was a good cop. He was a good cop. <laughs> but, <okay>. all right. <laughs> yeah, so. and I like
1: how uh, Mr. Orange kind of tries to spin the story as soon as the cop is dead, right? He yep. says, like, oh, like the cop could have told you if you hadn't shot him. Um, yeah, which, that, which is so good. But not worked
0: out. His, uh, the thing about... He, he just, he went a little too detailed with his story. Yes. He should he should have just said he killed the cop, or he was, kill, like, torturing and going to kill the cop, and then he was going to kill me next, and left it at that. You right, know? and
1: then, yeah, and um, and Chris Penn says, um, why don't you tell me what really happened? His eyes get really big. He's like, I love that part. He's
0: just yeah. Like, really intense. Yeah, he's <laughs> his eyes pop out of the, skull. He found the rat. He knows. Immediately yeah. he knows. He found the rat, and, uh, and it's everybody at that point gets a little bit too emotional. Because I think Joe and Nice Guy Eddie were really dis- – like, se- like well, not, I disappointed seems like an underwhelming way to say it. But they were really <laughs> emotional about their friend dying. Uh, yeah. Seemingly like, – and, and in the worst possible way too, killed by this traitorous rat that they definitely just found out. Mm-hmm. And then now you have one of your own guys, Mr. White, defending him and yeah. pointing a gun at you. Like, ugh. What, like well done to set that up like by Tarantino like such right. a compelling like mexican standoff
1: yes although okay this is my biggest my biggest uh, plot hole is okay. who sh- who shoots Eddie?
0: oh well <laughs> it is mr white he does shoot twice does he really uh, he does yeah so like he which is definitely unrealistic like cuz the, the, because does he move it? It? Cause it looks like the bullets come out all at the same time you know he the, the like I'm pretty sure he he, like there's two gunshots that comes from Mister White because he like kind of like moves his arm and that's how he shoots like he's responsible for shooting Joe and Eddie which uh, it's like but Eddie shot him right like how do he get that how do he do that you know yeah Um, but it's uh, that that I I agree that that's kind of a plot hole because it's like why uh, like he shouldn't be able to shoot both of them right Um, or at least like put a little emphasis on that you know add a second or something where a second gunshot goes off I don't know. Like,
1: I I could have watched that over and over again and probably figure it out, but you know, I, yeah. Like,
0: I I encourage you to take a look at it again because I I, I want to say that, uh, you you can see like white at least pull the trigger twice if not like actually get it pointed over it nice guy, but um, but as far as the, um, motivation behind the Mexican standoff, I liked and also yeah. take another moment to appreciate that these three you know. Professionals, with air quotes around it, are supposed to be working together, but instead they're pointing guns at each other, about to kill each other. Yeah. And guess who's not taking part in all this bullshit? Mr. Pink. Mr. Hiding, Pink. <laughs> hiding underneath the, the loading dock bay or whatever that's called, the ramp. Yeah.
1: So the yeah, the but he doesn't. Okay. through and through. But does he make it away? Right, because you you can hear stuff in the background, and I always try to pay attention to what's going on because nothing's mm-hmm. really happening on screen. Um, you know, Mr. Orange and Mr. White are talking, but um, that's about it. Um, Mr. Um, Mr. Pink like gets to the car and drives away, but you hear cops um, outside, and then like you hear arguing and stuff, and, and then gunshots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of implies that he didn't quite make it.
0: No, oh, yeah, no, I, I don't think he dies, but he I don't think he got away because there's uh, I I looked it up, it's because it, it, I've tried listening to it myself, and I you can hear commotion, sirens, obviously gunshots, and arguing, but I couldn't really discern it. But there people on Reddit said that you can hear him say are you a cop killer? Did you kill any cops? And then something to the effect mm. of, like, like he's, like, like, submitting to them. I see. So, uh, like, I mean, my, from my perspective, I, I think that he definitely doesn't get away, but he definitely doesn't die. So he okay. gets he gets to go to jail. So I don't know if that's much better. But, right. <laughs> um, which I think is also, like, uh, a fun ending to have, like, a little bit of a question mark on Mr. Pink. Yeah. Because you know everyone else's fate. Uh, they all got shot. But... Mr. Pink, it's like, you could, if you just watch this movie once, you could, which my belief after I first watched it was, Mr. Pink got away, and that was like this, this small happy ending for me. I'm like, okay. eh, at least at least Mr. Pink, who was a professional through and through, I, I don't think he made any stupid decisions, really, uh, he got away, but but what actually right. happens, what I think what actually happens is, he goes to jail. That's interesting, like no the more games. you watch it, the more depressing it becomes. Yeah, Right. <laughs> so that leaves us after you know joe nice guy um are are dead and now you've got a bleeding mr white and uh still dying yeah that like what i think is interesting here is this is like a throwback to when mr orange was empathizing or uh having like an affinity for uh what's his name long beach uh Long Beach Mike, the guy who got them this connection, who originally got uh, Mr. Orange undercover, this criminal turned you know traitor to the criminals. Mr. Orange doesn't have to tell Mr. White he was wrong. Right. He doesn't have to tell him that he's a cop. Yeah. But he feels for him. I think that he feels guilty. He feels yeah. guilty, even though that was like, he, he kind of accomplished his goal here. He got. Really? I mean, he killed Joe. I mean, I don't know if they wanted to kill him; they wanted to arrest him. But if he like caught off the head of this crime syndicate and a, like a bunch of the people involved, there's and some major players too. Yeah. You know. And then, but he felt compelled to tell Mister White, "I'm a cop." Yeah. Wow. And I th- I think that's the reason. I believe it's because mi- that's one of mis- that's Mister Orange's flaw is that he becomes empathetic to the criminals he's supposed to be, you know... Infiltrating, uh, right. Infiltrating, yeah. So, uh, that's why I think he he tells Mr. White, I'm a cop, and then they both die.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Ah, man. It's a sad ending, but um, satisfying
0: at the same time. Oh, definitely satisfying, too. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, yeah. Tarantino films, dude. Everybody dies.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I got one more note to make about Mm. Tarantino as a director um so he never went to film school um he just watched a lot of movies um obviously uh, we mentioned earlier he wa- worked at a like a movie store kind of thing mm. he knows a lot about different movies and you know things like that yeah. um so a lot of people i think wouldn't would say that um uh tarantino isn't really a filmmaker as much as he is a film lover and that his films are kind of you know Oh, I want not say hodgepodge, but like a, a culmination of all these other films that he loves. Um, you know, there isn't a whole lot of, I guess, um, originality, I suppose. But I, I don't know if I agree with that last part. I think he, um, I think the, the first part where he's, he's more of a film lover than a filmmaker is definitely true. What do you think?
0: Oh, I, I think that's what makes him unique. And, um, and the thing is, I, Tarantino's my favorite director, but it's also because he's just the director I've spent the most time analyzing. Yeah. I think there's plenty of other directors that have their own unique style that uh, you know bring something different to it. Uh, who's the guy who directed Baby Driver? Uh, um, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright. Like Edgar Wright, I think, is on a similar level as Tarantino as to he has a very unique way of telling a story that you can almost recognize just by looking at it. And, uh I think that's what makes them stand out when they can find that that thing that they were like born to do right uh, I think that's what sets them apart and uh I think that his love of film definitely puts a huge influence on that I'm uh to tell you the truth I I, I think that my ignorance of other directors helps ad- hinders me in my understanding of what ma- what sets him apart right but I I definitely just as a viewer uh, I think it's cool to know that he loves movies as much as he's helping you, like, love his own movies.
1: Yeah, and what's interesting is that even though he, he's, like, he's basically all inspired by other things, you know, he's, he's never, like, you know, learned how to do things, I guess, the right way or whatever you might say. Um, mm-hmm. He has a very unique style. You know, I think... Uh, even, as you just mentioned, someone who's not familiar with other directors can recognize a Tarantino film out of, out of a collection of others. Um, just because the dialogue and the way it's shot and everything, um, he's extremely unique. And um, despite being entirely inspired by other people, he, no one else is like him. So uh, I think that's kind of a, a, a uh, contrary or like an oxymoron in a way. It's like a, the way he, he operates.
0: Yeah. And, and I, one of my favorite things is that Basically, all of his movies deliver. Basically, I uh, we could have a whole another conversation on like what like each movie and its pros and cons. But sure, uh, we're still living in the age of Tarantino. There's still more to come. Yeah, and uh, that's exciting because uh, I mean. I, it's kind of like getting sequels, right? Uh, like I love Reservoir Dogs, and I want to see another movie like Reservoir Dogs. Right. And I know that I, the next movie I see from him won't be like Reservoir Dogs at all. It won't be like Django. It won't be like Inglorious Bastards. But it'll be just as entertaining. Exactly. And that's that's what really, uh, that's what makes you such a big fan of Tarantino.
1: Yeah. Um, so one other thing. Um, I, I was watching this kind of short documentary on one of the bonus discs of the of the Reservoir Dogs I have, and the guy was talking about how this was, like, this movie was, um, like, always meant to be made or something. Like, this was a response or a reaction to the kind of the modern, uh, like, film. It's, um, like, Tarantino is destined to make this movie, I guess is the way um, he put it forward. And that this, this movie was filling a hole that, was, that Tarantino recognized. Um, and I don't, like, what do you think about that?
0: Well, to tell you the truth, it's tough for me to to analyze that because I don't think I know a lot of the films of the time, and also it was before I was born, so don't really know the time that well. But I I I think that he just makes his own space, Tarantino. Like he is. I I don't know. I, I don't know how much I agree with it, but I feel like I also don't know if my opinion is worth much.
1: I I, I I agree with what you're saying, though. I I don't. I think that this movie stands apart from other. Like, apart from its, the time it's made and apart from other movies. Um, and, yeah, I think Tarantino makes his own space. And I don't think anyone else really kind of gets into that as much as he does. Um, I mean, there's other creative uh, directors, of course, but mm-hmm. um, it, he, his are kind of apart; They're a separate almost genre uh, to, to anything else. Um, and, yeah, so I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Maybe it was a response to things. Maybe it's kind of how postmodernism. It kind of creates new things but i don't think it was something that was destined to be made i think it's because of tarantino's uniqueness that it was made
0: yeah no and, and i think that the my only regret is that when he's done well we won't see anything like this again Not yeah but that's just,
1: also uh, kind of nice you know because then we'll be, we'll be stuck with what we have and we can just go over it and over and over it again until um time eternal you know <laughs> so. yeah yeah
0: and it's kind of how i feel now you know because i mean He's supposed to make 10 and we have eight of them right now. Right. And, uh, and we just constantly pour over the, the ones that we have. Uh, and and it's like always trying to decide which one is the best, which one's your favorite. And, uh, which is like, I don't know. It's, it's just endless. (laughs) It's endless entertainment, honestly. And I think that 10 will be enough.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, so one, I guess I have one more question. Um, uh, is there anything about Reservoir Dogs that you don't like? How any, any cons? I know it's your favorite movie, but uh, uh, is yeah, there I'm anything saying.
0: that, like,
1: um, you, I don't know. I wouldn't say, to, uh, run, okay. improve, I want to prove I
0: guess yeah. I could come up with a criticism, uh, but I have so much, there's so much Homerism for me on this one. I, I just love this film through and through. <laughs> but I think it's, uh, and this is definitely me being, like, it's 2018 now, but I think it's interesting that there's, like, basically no women in this movie. Yeah,
1: that's true. There and is I, no woman. Not I, even a waitress know, makes an appearance.
0: Right, and I don't know if that makes it bad, right? Uh, like not inherently, but I, I'm, uh, I guess that could be somewhat of a criticism. I don't like the idea that movies have to uh, change their cast, races, uh, or ethnicity, uh, gender, or. Uh, um, what's it called? Just or, or se- uh, sexual orientation, so that everyone can feel included. Right, to fill I, a quota. I, I, yeah. Not saying that I don't want those things in movies, but it's like if it's like, oh, Mr. Orange is gay because we want gay people to be represented in every movie. That obviously that wouldn't have happened in the '90s. Right. But it, I, I I don't agree with that. It's
1: not. Yeah. It's everything else like contributes to the plot, and something like that wouldn't
0: necessarily. Exactly. Um, right. And, and, yeah. and again, I don't know if it's like a really great criticism, but I think it's interesting. But like any of them could have been has... gay.
1: We just don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. that's not important.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It isn't. And uh, and uh, I, I don't again, I don't know if it's really that good of a criticism to say that, but I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I
1: I, I, I can definitely see that. And I think a movie like The Usual Suspects, which I don't know if you've ever seen, um, it's definitely like a really macho kind of movie. It's like, like about a heist and everything. Um, and I definitely kind of felt the vacuum of women in that movie because there is a one woman, but she's not treated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in this one, I didn't really see that. I guess I guess because the characters aren't emulating like masculine ideals or anything; they're just kind of emulating personalities.
0: Um, well, so... they do reference women when they talk about. Uh, they they have a discussion in the car. Right. Where talking about that about... girl walking around the street. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they they talk about the like how it's like like black girls. Won't deal with, uh, oh yeah, the stuff that uh, the same thing white white girls would deal with, but again, I feel like that's not really representing women in this film. No. I think there's something called the uh, there's a test that you can that the you Be- can the Bechdel from- test. The Bechdel test, yes, and this movie definitely fails the Bechdel. <laughs> there's test. no living. There. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the first thing is... Well, explain the Bechdel, for okay, anyone the Bechdel test. Okay, the Bechdel test is something that uh, a woman named Amy Bechdel came up with in a comic strip. It was originally supposed to be a satire. Um, it was never meant to be taken seriously. Um, but it is kind of funny to... It is fun to analyze movies for the Bechdel test to see if it passes. Mm-hmm. It's very simple to pass. You need two women that are named to have a conversation, at least one, about something that is not a man. And there's a surprising number of movies in which this fails. Yep. Um, I, one of my favorite examples is the movie Phenomenon with John Travolta, uh, where uh, the wife, is whenever she talks to the son, um, the son is talking about whatever he's up to. But as soon as the wife starts talking to her daughter, the daughter always brings up John Travolta. <laughs> uh, that's all she ever talks about. the 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 daughter's job in the movie is to talk about John Travolta, um, and it's uh, kind of frustrating, honestly.
0: Right. No. And, and again, yeah, not meant to be taken seriously, but when you use it, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> 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 it's like right. It's, like, it's kind of silly how many movies have has it. This one's that I think that well, the Bechdel test does a better job of showing when women in a movie are not being treated as a fleshed out character. Yeah. With their own life and their own problems, their own. Uh, things that they care about that aren't just a, the male characters. Right. This any, movie, yeah.
1: And if any of the people in this movie had been women, then uh, this might have passed because they don't talk about their relationships or anything, you know? Um, yeah. And I, although I think this movie is like, in the way it's constructed is pretty perfect. You could yeah. theoretically predict, um, make one of the characters women and it wouldn't change much.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Theoretically. And, and that's like, again, I, I don't think it's a great criticism, but I think it's something worth talking about. Sure.
1: Yeah, to kind of touch on that, I, I was kind of, uh, I mean, just uh, Tarantino's use of the N-word is pretty liberal. Uh, to it's all very movies, liberal. Especially in this movie, um, which I think is kind of a product of its times, again, but yes. also, like, um, I don't know, it's it's done in a kind of, it's not a terrible way. There are some um, instances where they kind of say, like, ah, oh, you, you guys are acting like N-words, yeah. which is, you know, not cool, but it's... Um,
0: but but know. here's the thing I, I feel like people who use the hard R are not on the same level but they're definitely closer on the spectrum to people that kill people and steal diamonds <laughs> you know so like these are not good guys right they're
1: right? not obeying society's rules at this point so. exactly
0: so uh, the the thing is while obviously I don't agree with like the, the use of the word in real life I think that it fits the character and the time okay uh, and 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 Tarantino. <laughs> Like I think he sometimes gets the pass for how frequently that movie is used and some uh, how frequently that word is used in some of his movies because he's so tight with Samuel L. Jackson. I don't even know. Uh, but but like again, it's a, uh, I, I think that this this movie it fits for the times and i also don't think he's too disrespectful about it though because obviously yeah saying that is like bad but they when when they have the discussion about the the black women i think they almost have like a respect for yes. how these women don't take shit it's more of an observation than
1: it is like a critique or anything right, um, right. And, and and then yeah and then when, and hold away of course he's kind of seen as this you know um like better than uh, Tim Ross character better than Mr. Orange. Sure. Uh, but, a and, and he's, well, he's the teacher. Me, yeah.
0: But for me, it's like his race doesn't matter. He's, he's a yeah. competent, like cop who's training someone else to be undercover. It doesn't matter that he's black. And that's, right, I think but, that that's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, and, but he, he is, so it
0: definitely kind of contributes to that side, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Um, which I think, yeah, cause people have said that I, I've seen like interviews with Samuel L. Jackson where they talk about, it's like, is like do you feel like Tarantino is racist and he's like no like I like I play like I'm black and I usually play like the most skilled and like the mo- like the smartest character in all his movies so yeah. and uh I, I think that I agree I don't think Tarantino is really ever trying to make that much of a statement about uh like I don't think he's really ever trying to be like uh like make a statement about any g- ethnicity or gender yeah. or any of that stuff I think he just does his thing you know right Yeah. if you look too yeah. hard at it you're gonna find problems if you want to find problems but That's I don't true. think I don't think they're really there. Good point. All right is there anything else to talk about? Uh, no that is the uh, that is the end of my uh, my notes here I, I, last thing I wrote is it, it just still holds up I, I, I've seen this movie so many times and I still think it's you know top tier
1: yes I, I agree um and and there's still nothing like it you know i think there's other movies that have tried to do things similar or have like similar styles and stuff but nothing would, that has the i mean the balls to not show the heist in a heist movie
0: yep but um all right so i think we'll just wrap it up here you know? okay thanks for uh thinking of this idea Jody. thanks for, absolutely
1: uh, i would love to do this more
2: Butter bought a cooking nut, uh, he bought it for the time, his sister had another one, she paid it for the lime She put the lime in the cooking now uh, she drank and pulled up She put the lime in the cooking now uh, she drank and pulled up She put the lime in the cooking now uh, she drank and pulled up She put the lime in the cooking uh, now she, uh, she called the doctor, woke him up and said, Doctor, ain't there nothing I can take her, uh, said, Doctor get this big